like to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Uh, that's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. And uh, while you're doing that, let me add my word of thanks to uh, the rest of the team that you've already heard from this morning. Um, we met together yesterday with the, um, the Go team, and it was such a privilege to be in that room to listen to people from uh, Romania, from Rick, who's got interest in all across uh, Euro-Asia, uh, to hear of what's going on in Mexico uh, and Brazil as well. And to see a church, a local church, with such a global vision is truly humbling. Lots of churches talk about it, but in my experience, at least anyway, very few churches actually do anything about it. So to, to be with you here today in your local context, celebrating what God is doing around the world is a great privilege and, and pleasure. Um, so I wanna thank you for, for your continued interest, um, your generosity and your determination to take the Great Commission seriously. Praise God for you. It is wonderful. And, and like Addie has said, if we in Ireland can plant even just one church like Good News Church uh, that has a vision for the nations, then we will have achieved a mighty thing indeed. So thank you so much. We're going to uh, read from Matthew chapter 13. I'll pick it up at verse 51. And then we'll pray together as we look at it. So Matthew chapter 13 and verse 51. Have you understood all these things, Jesus said? And they, his disciples, said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are all his sisters, are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Let's pray as we begin. Father God in heaven, we thank you for your living and enduring word, and we thank you for the opportunity to gather around to consider it now this morning. Please, by your spirit, would you be at work in both speaker and listener. Help us to see the glories of your truth, the wonder of the gospel, and would you please so work in each of our lives that we might live for the glory of that gospel each and every day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So really, as we come to the end of Matthew 13, one of the big questions that Jesus has been answering is a question that we all want an answer to. 
how do we live our best life today? How do you do that? How do you live your best life today? Uh, I have an answer from Ireland uh, on a tea towel. And this is an Irish man's philosophy. This is how you're to live your best life today. Are you ready? There are only two things to worry about. Either you're well or you're sick. If you're well, you have nothing to worry about. If you're sick, there are only two things to worry about. Either you will, you will get better or you will die. <laughs> if you die, you only have two things to worry about. Either you will go to heaven, in which case you will have nothing to worry about, or you will go to hell. But there, you'll be so busy shaking hands with your friends that you won't have time to worry. <laughs> I'm actually not too sure that Jesus would agree with that. Jesus gives us a definition of what it is to live your best life now in Matthew chapter 13. And he says, you can only live your best life now in the light of his kingdom. I'll give you a review of Matthew 13 towards the end. But essentially he's saying, my kingdom's everlasting. There's nothing else like that in this world. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Nations come and they go. There is nothing like my kingdom but it looks so small and so insignificant to so many people today. It is unnoticed and even at times rejected by many people. The way it grows is not by force or might, but actually quite in an unremarkable way, simply by sowing seed. If you were to read Matthew chapter 13, you'd see he talks a lot. He talks a lot about seeds and sowing the seed of the gospel in the souls and the hearts and minds of men and women, boys and girls. And essentially what he's done as he reaches the point that we're now going to consider is say, are you prepared to be part of that kingdom? Do you want to be part of something that looks so small and insignificant that attracts some hostility? and grows in such an unremarkable, unimpressive way. Do you want to be part of that? Is that something you want to sign up for? And his disciples give him the answer in verse 51. Yes, they say, we're in. We're with you. We want to live our best life now in the light of your eternal kingdom. And so Jesus, therefore, then says, right, this is what it's going to look like. So if that's you this morning, if you have said, yes, I'm in, essentially the question we'll be answering is, so what? What difference should it make to your life? What difference here in St. Augustine, St. Augustine? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what difference should it make to you in your local community? What difference should you be expecting it to make in Romania, in Russia, in Mexico? In Brazil, even in Ireland, what difference should it make? What sort of people are you going to be? Is what Jesus is answering. And I have three things for us to consider this morning as we look at the end of Matthew chapter 13 in, in terms of what it means to live your best life now. 
And if you're here interested and in inquiring about Christian things, there, there are some surprises in here. But if you're here and you've already said yes, I can guarantee you again there are some surprises in here for us to consider this morning. So three things for us to look at. And the first is that if you understand what it means to live your best life now, if you've said, yes, I'm in, then you're going to be a type of person like this. You're going to be someone who generously shares, who generously shares, who takes what has been given and doesn't keep it to yourself, but gives it away. You generously share. That's uh, what Jesus says as soon as his disciples say, yes, I'm in. He says, okay, well, you're going to be a, a certain type of person then. Have a look with me at verse 52. He says, therefore, every scribe, and really that's uh, simply someone who has, has learned and has agreed with the ways of the king. Someone who understands what the king is about and what his business is in this world. Every scribe, essentially every disciple, will be like this. They will be like someone, a master of a house, who brings out of their treasure what is new and old. Now, we could have some fun with what new and old means. Um, depends sometimes just on, um, on your personality, what you prefer. Perhaps you prefer the latest, newest fashion, or some of you might prefer the old um, traditional, classical fashion. Um, Jesus is saying for every Christian, they value both the new and the old. In Jesus' day, he was bringing in the new. It seemed to be quite radical. It got him into trouble. But never once did he say that he was contradicting the old. He had come to fulfill it. And so every Christian, therefore, values both the new, what Jesus was bringing in, and the old, as he brought it to fulfillment. And so we have a rich treasury, a rich treasury into which we can dive, spanning God's faithfulness to his promises. Spanning God's love, even to the point of sacrifice. Looking to a future that is certain and secure. In many ways, that's what the gospel is, isn't it? God promised that he would make a way for all people to come home. And he did that. Not at the risk of his life, but at the cost of it. And so we find God coming into our world and taking the punishment and judgment that rightly we deserve. So that anyone who trusts in that, in the person and work of Jesus, knows that their future is secure, that the judgment's already fallen. And so your greatest fear for that which lies ahead has already passed. What a great treasure we have. Like I say, we could... You know, we could have lots more fun with that. But what I want to really draw your attention to is, is what we do with it. And you see, Jesus describes every disciple as, as someone who is like the master of a house. Do you see that? And in Jesus' day, that was a person of considerable standing, right? Um, someone who has timeshares all over the place. Someone who's got resources and disposable income. 
someone who has been richly blessed, a master of a house. And that's so important for us to, to understand. Because not only has the punishment been taken, but we've been brought in as children, adopted now, into the family. And so we share in the inheritance of God himself. Every Christian, I, I don't care what your social standing is. I don't care what your background may have been and how much you perhaps have made it in this life or failed to achieve on all that you thought you would. Bottom line, if you're a Christian, you're like the master of a house. You have riches beyond compare in this world. I had a friend visit me. I used to actually work in a small church in Connecticut 20 years ago. And uh, I had a friend visit me from Ireland. His name was Peter. And um, he came and stayed with me for a few days. There was lots of traffic coming from Ireland because, you know, I, coming from Ireland, I was living in America. So everybody thought, oh, I know where we'll go. We'll go and see David. Um, uh, anyway, Peter is a very good friend. And he came and stayed with me for a while. And we met the senior pastor there. And the senior pastor, he had a particular way with words. We had dinner together, all of us, and his comment about Peter was simply this. That fella, Peter, he's told his face the gospel. <laughs> I think that's great. He's told his face the gospel. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, look at the joy in that man's eyes. He knows he has been made rich beyond compare. He knows he's like the master of a house. He knows regardless of what happens to him, he's got what everybody needs. He has got the only thing that will make people rich for eternity. And I thought that's a really good, that's a really good way to put it. Perhaps more Christians need to tell their faces what actually has happened to their hearts. Perhaps we all need to communicate that to ourselves. Like a master of a house who does what? Well, who brings out, do you see that in verse 52? Who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Who takes what has been given to him, doesn't keep it to himself, but shares it liberally, generously, freely. Who can't keep it to himself. Right? Okay, I'm in, Jesus. I'm going to live my best life now. What does that look like? The world would say, get more and more and more for yourself and keep it, pile it up. Pile it up so you'll be safe and secure for years to come. What does Jesus say? Not at all. You live a radically different life, a subversive life, a life that's countercultural. Because you're living your life in, a, in the light of an eternal kingdom. So you take what's been given, take everything that you've been given, and you generously share. That's, that's one of the remarkable things about you as a church. It's one of the things that we are benefiting from around the world and in Ireland still because you have taken what you have been given and you are not accumulating it for yourselves. You're giving it away. You're sharing it. Why? Well, the only answer I can think is because you as a church understand that an end is coming and you're living your life in the light of it. Uh, around our family table at dinner time is carnage. Absolute carnage, right? I like the way um, 
uh, Travis said, well, I wrote it, I suppose, that uh, I, I don't have four lovely children. I have four lively children. They are lovely too, but most of the time they're lively. Um, in any case, every dinner time, when it comes to having our family devotions, it's pandemonium, right? Everything just seems to fall. Somebody needs to go to the toilet. Another person suddenly can't see their eyes. Um, somebody feels sick. Um, it's pandemonium. But we, we try and soldier on and do our best. Um, and perhaps only get maybe five, seven minutes together when we can look at the Bible and pray. I've got some young children as well. But recently we were looking at a question that went like this. If you could give something to your friend and you knew that it would make them happy, what would you give them? Of course, the answers came, you know, an iPhone or a Nintendo Switch or a trip to Disneyland or something like that. And then the quest, second question was, how would you feel in making them so happy? Think about that. Think about a friend you have and something you'd like to give them. It would make them, yeah, happy. But you too would be happy in giving, giving as well, wouldn't you? And then we brought it to the gospel. Well, what about that? Here's the one thing that's going to change their lives for the better forever. Are you prepared to give it? How would it make you feel? Silence. <laughs> you know, my kids are 14, 12, this year 10 and 8. And it's, it's hard to give away. We'll look at that in just a moment. But if we understand what it means to say, yes, I'm in. I'm going to live my best life now. It doesn't mean keeping everything you've been given for yourself. It means taking what you've been given and generously sharing it with others. A person who understands the eternal kingdom of Jesus generously shares. But when you do that, secondly, the second thing then uh, we need to come to terms with is that when you do that, you need to do something else. You need to expect suffering. It just doesn't figure, does it? When you're giving something away that's so good that you should expect to suffer. But this is the path to Christian growth. This is where you see how much you truly value what you have been given because you're prepared to give it away and in response, suffer the rejection of others. That's what happens in Jesus' life. Jesus often said that the um, servant was not above the master. And that's what happens as our passage continues. Pick it up with me in verse 54. As Jesus comes to his hometown, what does he do? He teaches them. He knows that by sharing the gospel, by speaking the word of life, people's hearts are transformed. And so he went in and he, he shared the gospel. And look at the, the first reaction. People were astonished in verse 54. Where did this guy get this stuff from? He speaks so clearly, so plainly, so black and white, so truthfully. Where did he get from? And it doesn't take long for the tables to turn. Because Jesus does, if you read his parables, he does speak so simply, so plainly, so black and white that people quickly move from astonishment to offense. You see, they say in verse 55, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas here? Are not all his sisters with us? 
Verse 57. And so they took offense at him. Strange, isn't it? That someone who came to give life would be rejected by so many. Someone who was sent into the world to do for the world what the world could not do for itself is cast aside. And if we are to walk in his footsteps, we cannot expect anything else. The particular type of rejection that Jesus suffered is perhaps especially painful for us all. Because notice who it is that is rejecting him at this point. We know later, right, the religious leaders get on his case. It's the religious leaders who come down hard on him. People who are in authority um, and think they are someone. But that's not who's re rejecting him here. The, person who, the people who are rejecting him here are, are actually those he grew up with, his friends, his neighbors, those who watched him laugh and cry. Perhaps he played games with them in the schoolyard. <laughs> um, perhaps they, they put a bandage on his knee when he fell. These were his mates. They're saying, what does this guy think he's on about? Who does he think he is? In other words, it's the, it was those who were most familiar with him who rejected him. In Ireland, um, that actually simply is a fact. I know you may not think that because many people think, well, Ireland's a Christian country. Did you know that Ireland is actually the least evangelized English-speaking world per capita in the world? Evangelicals are less than 0.01% in Ireland. And the Irish people are familiar with the gospel. They're familiar with Jesus' family, the church. And today is census day in Ireland. I'm not there to fill it in. My wife will be filling it in shortly. Um, and many people will, will still probably fill in Roman Catholic or, or Protestant. But the fastest growing religion in Ireland today are those with none at all. There's been a few recent referendums in Ireland against matters of marriage and, in particular, most recently, abortion. And one of the slogans that carried the day for those who won the referendum in favor of abortion went like this, get your rosaries off my ovaries. Familiar. People I live beside, my neighbors, my friends who know something about this man, but haven't truly understood who he really is. And that rejection is, is painful, it's difficult. Because no doubt Jesus looked at them the same way as I look at my neighbors, with love and compassion and care, and yet they wanted nothing to do with him. It's chilling how our passage ends because we see that Jesus understands, you know, um, familiarity can breed contempt, and we need to all be careful of that. I don't care what stage you're at in your Christian life in here today, but you be warned that if you grow too familiar with the Jesus that you know, you're in danger of growing in contempt. It's something that can happen to all of our hearts. 
Let's pray against that seed of unbelief that's so ready to sprout up in each of us again. Because what we find here is, for those who continually rejected Jesus, well, in the end, he respects that. We read that God did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. So we, as Christians, if you're in, are to expect suffering. Is that your idea of living your best life now? I know some of you have moved to Florida for the sun, for the sand and the sea, of which actually I have been in three times since I've come. Um, and, and you've come perhaps expecting an easy life. But if you have said yes, please don't miss this. If you're going to take Jesus seriously and his kingdom is a reality in your life, as you generously share, you must, you must expect suffering. You must, you must expect it. Get ready now. So that when it comes, you'll see that's exactly what was promised. You know, I, may, I know many other churches promise that when you, when you say yes, life will be rosy. Everything will be grand. Don't worry about it. <laughs> It'll be plain sailing from that point on. I can't find that in the Bible. What I find in the Bible is the promise that if you, if you walk in the footsteps of your master, you're going to suffer just as he did. But it's worth it. Because as his people, just previous to this, we have, we have the, the treasure that the world is longing for. We have the pearl of great price that people are searching for. It's worth giving it away. If only that one other person might stand beside you in glory and say thank you. You may have suffered rejection time and time and time again, but there may be just one person who you actually were sent into the world to speak the gospel to. And they may look at you on the day of glory and say, thank you. Thank you for speaking to me about Jesus. Thank you for risking it and telling me the story of his love. Thank you that I now know him as my friend and not my judge. It's worth it. And so I think what uh, Matthew 13 really brings to the fore as we draw things to a close is that we should be people who generously share, who expect suffering, and lastly, who never stop. Never stop. There's no one particular verse uh, that I can take you to for that because it would take too long because it's pretty much written in every verse of Matthew 13. It's the reason why it's in our Bibles. Why does Jesus, for example, the parable of the sower, that, that famous parable, why does he tell us that there's going to be a mixed reaction? You're, you're speaking about the same Jesus to so many different people, but so many different people are responding in so many different ways. Why does he tell us that? Because he doesn't want us to be surprised. He wants you to keep sowing the seed. Some will fall on hard grounds, shallow soil, divided soil. Some will fall on good soil. He wants you to keep going. 
Why does he say that actually in this world is the kingdom of the son and the kingdom of the evil one? Well, because again, he doesn't want you being taken by surprise. Only at the end, he keeps on saying, only at the close of the age will it become clear that the kingdom of the son is the one to belong to. Why does he talk about it as looking so insignificant? So many people walk past. Because you'll be speaking about it, and, and many people will, will find nothing in it at all. But he simply wants you to keep going. Never, never, never stop. Generously share. Expect the suffering, yes. But what is our life? It's a blip, right? That's it, in the context of eternity. That's all you're going to get. Boop. Be it 70 or 80 years, that's it. Boop. In the context of eternity. Use it well. I don't know what you, you know, there's, the war in Ukraine obviously is um, to the forefront of all our thoughts at the moment and the, the terrible suffering that's going on there. It's, uh, it's, it's hard uh, to watch and to put yourself in the place of the people who are suffering. Um, but I was listening to a report from the BBC just the other week before I got on the plane, and it was apparent even at that stage, a week or so ago, that Russia, a superpower, right, was failing to make the advances that you would expect such a nation to, to make in a country such as Ukraine. Not perhaps um, that well known for its military might. And the reporter was trying to understand why that was the case. Why was Russia failing to take such ground? And they said, well, perhaps it's because actually the Russian army itself is internally in, in, in chaos, right? The, the leaders are corrupt and the, the instructions perhaps are, are, um, are mixed. Perhaps it's because internally the Russians are not well organized. Then they said, well, perhaps it's maybe because the West has provided such military hardware for, for the uh, army of Ukraine. Maybe that was it too. But then the reporter kind of dismissed all of those from her experience in, in watching what was going and unfolding, unfolding in Ukraine itself. And she said, you can think about all those, those big kind of meta stories. But as far as she was concerned, the reason why the Russians had failed to take so much ground was simply because of the sheer determination of the normal people of Ukraine. People who had not been trained for war, people who were not going looking for it, suddenly plunged into it. What did it do? It brought out a resilience that perhaps the Russian army was not expecting. It brought out a determination to keep on going. They are standing in defiance of such a great assault. Jesus did just that. He came, and in the face of overwhelming odds, he stood defiant. He went to face the ultimate enemy and did not shrink back. And then he rose victorious. I don't know how the story is going to end in Ukraine, but we know how this story ends. So never stop. You don't need to be a Bible teacher 
You simply need to be a Bible sharer. You've got this treasure. You're like a master of a house. Never stop. One last story, and then I'm done. It's from Martha, who's a young girl um, in the church I'm planting in Dublin. And um, she told me this, this beautiful story where she's an archaeologist. And it became known amongst her colleagues that she was a Christian. One day she was down a hole digging, um, looking for something, and her boss came and stood on level ground above her. She was down there, he was up there, and, and he was really quite belligerent. He was really quite arrogant because he had discovered that she was a Christian. And he wanted to, he wanted to push her and pressurize her in fact, she said, she said herself she felt quite harassed by him. Um, and he kept asking these questions, these objections towards Christianity. And a couple of times, all that Martha had to say was this. I don't have an answer to your question, but I still believe. That's all she said. Fast forward a couple of months at a work do. Um, when they were having a lunch or something together, and that same boss came and sat down beside Martha. Martha didn't know what to expect this time, but she was very, very nervous. She said to me she never thought she would hear the words that came out of his, his mouth next. And he simply said, I have argued with Christians over the years, and they have tried to give me answers, but none of them really satisfied. The stand you took has shaken me. All she said was, I don't know. She actually admitted that, that she didn't have all the answers. It's the case for us all. But I believe. And that man was shaken to his core. So never stop. Expect suffering while you do it. But as those who have been brought into the kingdom of the Son of God, let's be those who are marked by generosity and continue to share, bringing out of the treasures that we have been given. Uh, again, I'm humbled, uh, as I know we all are. Um, those who have impacted, uh, not just this year, but over the course of the last 13 years, it is absolutely remarkable to hear of, of how you're putting all of this into practice. Um, and if I have been able to encourage you in any small way, as much as you have been such an encouragement to us, um, then praise be to the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your word speaks to us about the realities of our lives and about the endless treasures and resources of the gospel. And we pray, our loving God, that, that you would thrill our hearts with that same gospel again, and that you would continue to send us out to reach the nations, that on that last day, at the close of the age, there may be many who praise God through our weak, faltering, and small efforts. To the glory of Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much.